Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast that explores compelling themes in some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Brittany. And I'm Chris. And this week, we are discussing responsibility in Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. Mm-hmm. So to start us out, we have a quote from Blood Nudge of Korra from Season 3, Episode 2, Rebirth. It goes back and forth a bit between Korra and Ryu, who was <laughs> um, a disgruntled, sullen, uh, new airbender. So Chris is going to be Korra. You're an airbender now, and you have a responsibility as a citizen of the world. Whatever. I didn't ask to become an airbender, you know. Well, I didn't ask to be the Avatar, but I am. I'm fulfilling my duties. So? You don't have to. Yes, I do have to. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, you don't. Well, if I didn't embrace my role, then our entire world would be thrown into chaos. Think about that. Is that what you want? Maybe. This is an excellent exchange. (laughs) (laughs) One of the first airbenders that they come across, and he is... The worst. (laughs) (laughs) He just doesn't care. But, like, I feel for him because it's Mm -hmm. like, he didn't ask to become an airbender, and now you're heaping this cosmic responsibility (laughs) on him for what he's supposed to do because there are hardly any airbenders. Airbenders. (laughs) There are hardly any airbenders in the world, and... Yeah, I mean, it's not fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's an interesting idea. She's saying it's your responsibility. And it's interesting, too, because she frames it as his responsibility to the world, not to other airbenders or not to mm-hmm. the history of air nomads. You know, it's to the world, which is clearly so impacted by her own views of her responsibility mm-hmm. that she has responsibilities to the world. So I think she sees the responsibility of the airbenders through that lens. Absolutely. And here, Ryu's being a little more, like, individualistic. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, you know, maybe the world will be thrown into chaos, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe I don't care, you know? Mm -hmm. He might care if it actually was and it negatively affected him, but it's just interesting because when we think about social responsibility versus... As long as it doesn't negatively affect me, it doesn't matter. I can just live my life however I want to, even if me living my life that way negatively impacts other people. Yeah. Yeah, but it, you know, it's also still not fair. (laughs) You know, he didn't ask for this to be taken away from his home and... I mean, his mom wanted him to be taken away from his and I think home. That's, but... <laughs> that's why he's such a great character for this exchange, because we see other characters who also don't want to leave their lives to become air nomads. But he's someone who doesn't have a lot going on. <laughs> no, it's not like he's got a family doesn't. or a job that he's leaving. But still, yeah, he has the right to deny the responsibility that's thrust on him in that way if he doesn't choose it. Do I think it's the best decision or the most caring or loving decision not necessarily Mm -hmm. but so be it he obviously also doesn't have to be such a butt about it (laughs) (laughs) but would we even remember him if he wasn't a butt totally not no no he's very good butt writing yes (laughs) well why don't we get into our discussion with your character okay yeah i think that my character is actually close to our discussion on the quote because i want to talk about tenzin And that's due in part just because Tenzin is such a straight-laced, responsible person. 
that is very much part of his personality. Yes. But also, I think it's interesting how so much that responsibility comes from the fact that he was born an airbender. So much of the things that he is responsible for come out of the fact that he was Aang's only airbending child. Yeah, as soon as Aang died, he was the last airbender again. Exactly. And so, yeah, he's responsible for his family and for, you know, even before the new airbenders come out, for maintaining Air Temple Island as the last remnants of anyone who's learning airbending and also those who are maintaining the air nomadic culture through the air acolytes. On top of that, when Korra has to learn airbending, he's the one who has to teach her because he's the only airbending master in the world. And so he takes that responsibility on. And that's what I think is really interesting about him is that he takes these things on in a way that he seems glad to do it. He never seems like he's frustrated or overwhelmed by these responsibilities, which is why I think he is a, like, it is a personality trait of his. But I can imagine how much that personality trait has been instilled in him just through the circumstances of the world that he, and, and his place in it. Absolutely. Yeah. Even as a world leader, as a council member in Republic City, he's a council member because he's an airbender. Because... Mm-hmm. In the first season, the council's made up of the different nations, and he's a representative of the Air Nomads. It's really a good thing that Boomy wasn't the initial kid with airbending. Which, that would have been a disaster. Totally, yeah. And But that's, that's, I think, a really interesting element, is that he also was the third child born after Kaya and Boomy. And Kaya and Boomy, though they had the same parents, they were raised in a different context, where they didn't have this status as now last airbender, or eventually the last airbender, put upon them just through their existence. Boomy could become a general and chaotic, and Kaya could go out and just explore the world and be more of a free spirit. Would Tenzin have been able to adopt those same kinds of goals or personality if he didn't have this put upon him since he was a child? So yeah, I think that that, that's really interesting. But it's also one of the reasons why I think that his choice at the end of the third season for the air nomads to become a kind of superhero force that Mm -hmm. would help the world is an interesting one because this isn't something that he is responsible for as a airbender if anything airbenders are still pretty endangered or or vulnerable and so (laughs) endangered endangered, species exactly so if he continued down the same track I can understand him making the choice to for them to cloister themselves. They had just literally been attacked, you know, for them to build up defenses and build up a lifestyle that was more about protecting themselves and their culture and their history and their traditions than it is about helping others. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. choice to help others, despite all that, I think is a really interesting one because he is basically taking responsibility for doing whatever they can for the world. And I think that that's really an admirable decision that Tenzin makes. So yeah, I just, I thought that, you know, he, he first came to mind as, as almost like a joke in my mind when I was thinking of like, who's, res- who's a really responsible character in these shows? But the more I thought about him, the more I realized that he has, I think, some interesting implications with where his responsibility comes from and the ways that he uses it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, he's an interesting character and... I think it's quite convenient (laughs) plot-wise for him and Aang to at least 
like women because what would that responsibility and burden look like for somebody who didn't like women you it's know? a really good question yeah right it's a really good point which is just really it's it's not okay when it's just like you have to be this way because otherwise the people group dies out or exactly whatever which apparently at least i've heard i haven't done much research but i've heard that uh Japan's gotten much more policy-wise kind of gross, or maybe propaganda-wise, <laughs> pushing biological, yeah, exactly, and biological families and getting married and these things. I mean, yes, they have a negative birth rate, but so people don't want to do this, don't try to push it on them, yeah. you know? And of course, yeah, bringing in homophobia and like, right. judgment of people who don't want those families as a way to solve the negative birth rate also is not really hitting the mark because those people have always existed. <laughs> right. They've probably also always been the kind of people who wouldn't have biological families. But there are other economic and social factors at play that have led to a decreased birth rate as well. I mean, I don't think that there are probably always people who wouldn't have had biological families, but they would not have necessarily been happy in those family choices. Of course, yeah. yeah. But... I also think, you know, this isn't Japan, because I don't know the, the historical culture there, but people joining the priesthood or, or, or mm -hmm. you know, becoming a nun is a way for some All people who spinsters. make those choices. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Make it probably with this as a consideration. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but what plot did you want to talk about? When I was trying to, like, think about a moment of responsibility that I really appreciated, I automatically thought about Lin Beifong because mm. in the first season when Amon has attacked the pro-bending arena and took many of the people that she worked with she made the choice that she wanted to try to get them back and because probably to get them back she might need to do things that are skridding the law in some ways. Or at least can't wait for bureaucracy to... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because she's like, he can take the bending away from them, so mm -hmm. I need to do this now. And so she resigned. And I think that decision just shows so much responsibility. It's something... I mean, I admire her for... But, like, I also shouldn't because it's just, like, <laughs> what a person should do. But I feel like we have so many, not only in our own society, but also entertainment representation of people who are working in law enforcement using their position for their own personal agenda, whether it's something nefarious or not, mm -hmm. you know? But it's still an abuse of power. And, you know, it makes me think of... One of the reasons why Michael from Jane the Virgin is one of several reasons. <laughs> He's just the worst. And yes, both of us really, really dislike him. <laughs> um, also, I don't even remember her name, but from The Mandalorian, I'll call her Strong Woman Number Two <laughs> because <laughs> that's basically her only character trait. Who misuses her position of power as some marshal and it's, it's it's so common to see this represented on screen and it really not be examined and it really be kind of either sidestepped entirely or like tried to be legitimized mm -hmm. in some way 
oh, it's just because they love them so much, or, you know, whatever it would be. And this is not a case of that. She makes the decision to step down because it's the only way for her to be responsible. And then we later find out that Toph made a less responsible choice, right? Mm -hmm. She allowed her other daughter, Su Yin, to not be arrested after burglaring a place. But because she was guilt, felt guilt over that, she then did step down eventually, but still she let her daughter not have any consequences. Well, I mean, sort of. She, she like, left or whatever. But, like, no legal consequences for her actions. Yeah. And then you see Lynn making a different choice. Yeah, which is something that I appreciate because it shows that Lynn actually has respect for the law, as in, like, the fact that laws exist and that mm-hmm. they're there to be a, a kind of social contract. Yeah. More than she has respect for authority. She, respect, totally. she has respect for those who enforce the law, which is often the case, where they have respect for police. They have respect for people who, yeah, are often seen heroically in media, who are police officers or other kinds of officials, and who, yeah, they skirt around, but they're always doing it for the right reasons. <laughs> right. And, I mean, even if that's true, still you are showing that you think that your reasons are more important. You are able to have a better idea of what is right than the law. And oftentimes that's true. definitely can be true, but then how can you enforce it on others and you're just saying, you don't have a good enough reason, but I did. Exactly. That's where the double standard and lack of integrity comes in. That's why it's corrupt, because it is hypocritical. It is ultimately feeling like the law bends to you more than you bend to the law. Yeah, so she's not doing that. And that's something that that I don't necessarily always agree with because oftentimes the law is bad. Totally. And And it was written that way purposefully. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's enforced in really bad ways. Yeah, So, you know, there is a lot to criticize about policing. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. But at least I can give her respect in that she has, I think, a, a more responsible view of how to enforce that and how to personify that in a way as a police officer or not as one mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely i think it, to me it's unfortunate that then she was like reinstated totally. later because then it kind of undoes that sacrifice that she made yeah. but that's another matter yeah it's, it's i mean it's very <laughs> interesting because so much of the problems in the avatar world are resolved through violence mm-hmm. but and we have a police agency in republic city at least Mm-hmm. We never see anyone charged with assault, really, for yeah. those kinds of things. That's true. Cora almost gets in trouble for destroying some shops when she's fighting with Triple Triad in the first episode, but that's about it, mm-hmm. you know? And so, could the Equalists sue for or, or charge someone with assault for, you know, breaking up a protest or, or something? It just brings up these other questions of what are the police policing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in in the Legend of Korra? Yeah, and I mean the, that just leads us down to there's so many things I wonder about because like <laughs> because race isn't the same. There's yeah. no white people. Everyone's a person of color. Sure, different tribes and whatnot, but a lot of the people who are living in areas they're living within their own country, well, then would 
policing being negative based off of socioeconomic class, which probably to some degree it would. Bolin and Mako worked with the triple triads, I think, when they were younger because, like, they didn't have any other options, you know, and and that's completely understandable. And so, yeah, how how does that work as well? Totally. Very interesting. Yeah. But why don't we move on to our compelling questions? Okay. So what do you have for me? I was wondering if you, or to what extent you, hold Aang responsible for the Hundred Year War. (laughs) What a rude question. (laughs) I do not hold Aang responsible for the Hundred Years War. I hold Sozin responsible because he's the one who attacked. Mm -hmm. And... Sure, the Avatar is there to hopefully help maintain balance, but every other actor has a responsibility as well. Mm-hmm. It Just because the Avatar exists doesn't mean that now the rest of the world is not responsible for the things that happen. And so Sozin is responsible. Other leaders in the fire nation are responsible military leaders the soldiers like all of these people are responsible for what happened and (laughs) it gets complicated because i'm a pacifist so like (laughs) would i say oh well other you know if bossing say had gotten involved Mm -hmm. you know they should have gone to war and it's their fault if not like i don't it's not their fault. Certain arguments could be made for taking different actions than they took, but the aggressors, it's their fault. You know, they're the ones doing the actions. Could Aang have helped at least his air temple not get wiped out? Maybe. Maybe not. I mean, he probably would have gone into the Avatar state and done some damage. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I... I don't hold him responsible and it's way too much responsibility (laughs) than any child should have or any one person should Mm -hmm. have because that's even giving it too much like yes Sozin was the instigator but everyone who said yes we will do this and carried out those orders they're also still partially responsible Mm -hmm. And Roku's a little bit irresponsible, too. Yeah. He knew what Sozin was planning. He assumed he had scared him enough to not do it, which he did until Sozin saw an opportunity to kill Roku. Yeah. But... But what if Roku died elsewhere? What if he got cancer? You know, like... Yeah. If it was entirely based off of his existence, continued existence and ability to scare him, Mm -hmm. then, yeah. Exactly. And, you know... It got to the point where Sozin had already amassed a huge army and everything. Like, they had already been doing some of these things. They had already taken over, I think, some land mm. from the Earth Kingdom, which is when Roku finally confronted him yeah. because he just went and lived on his island and, you know, had a family and he didn't want the conflict with his former best friend and i understand not wanting that but like when it comes to people getting killed this massive war imperialism all of these things have the conflict you know and 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 settle it before it gets out of hand yeah 
what about you? <laughs> she says accusingly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going to point your finger at Aang and be like, blame? No, I think that you are almost entirely right. Oh, I don't, don't think that, you even. I don't think that you're <laughs> wrong at all. I just, like, I think that there's an element of Aang feels responsible. Totally. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's true, but, like, I can just understand that so much. Um, mm-hmm. So it makes me kind of think about it. And, and, you know, I also am someone who grew up reading a lot of Spider-Man comics. And so I have read With Great Power Comes Great Responsibility <laughs> thousands of times. It yes. haunts me every time this, this theme comes up. It haunts your dreams. <laughs> it does. When you're not even conscious. <laughs> And in this world, the Avatar is one of the most powerful people. And Aang's choice, whether it was intentional or not, did deprive the world of that power and of someone who could use that power in a way that would maybe help people. But I think also intention is important. And it's not the only thing that's important, but the fact that he was doing this out of fear and he was just trying to get away and he accidentally got caught in this storm and froze himself because that was the only way he could think of surviving and the avatar state just took over so i think that while a a unintentional decision doesn't necessarily mean that you are not responsible for the consequences of it i think that it does nuance it at least muddy the waters at least in that discussion I certainly think that, yeah, 12-year-old boy Aang is not responsible for a war. (laughs) Yeah. Or even he just, he didn't want to be taken away. Exactly. You know, it's like... It's a real fear, especially if you're 12. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I think that, for me, it's more often that I'll see Aang feel that responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I just feel so touched for him. Oh, I mean, I would feel so guilty if I was Aang. Totally, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's That's it's when you need hard. Ryu to come in and be like... <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't choose it. I don't know. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> if only Aang had a Ryu. <laughs> <laughs> but what's your question for me? So my question is kind of about the difference between social responsibility and personal responsibility. Mm. And where you see instances of character showing them, whether it overlaps or whether it's distinct. Totally. That's interesting. The first thing that came to mind, I find interesting because I wonder if there is the same considerations we have in our world, in the Avatar world, but it's that the Air Nomads are vegetarians. Mm, because totally. in our I'm society... I'm surprised I didn't think of that one. <laughs> in our society... Since I'm vegetarian yes almost vegan yes we have climate crises and all these things that come with it so that even if you are vegetarian or vegan and it's not because you care about animals and that you don't Mm -hmm. want them to be treated awfully you know it's not about pacifism or or that kind of care there isn't a social responsibility element to those choices Mm -hmm. for the air nomads we never see those same kinds of issues come up the only times we really see environmental de- destruction come up, it's not in a kind of holistic world level way. It's more just like, this river's polluted and it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, How adorable is it, though, if they have a social responsibility, but like 
to the animals. Yeah, well, I mean, that's like, the other thing. It's like this... their social idea is wider than... I mean, because he said, like, all life is sacred. That's even why I'm a vegetarian, right? Exactly. Yeah, so I think that that's there, but it's it just, I think, an interesting additional element where looking at it in a different context. Additional element? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> This is what he has turned me into, folks. <laughs> I never used to do this before meeting him. You're all very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's one. I think of the Great Divide and mm. the way that the two tribes both assume the other will be socially irresponsible and they use that as a way to make their own irresponsible decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's what some people use, too. It's like, well, I can't stop things with climate change because the corporations want to stop, which, yes, to some degree, that's true. But that doesn't then absolve you for any right action. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Just because the bad thing would have happened regardless doesn't mean that you can help that to happen and, yeah. there, and then not be responsible. Yeah. Or you make it worse, you know. Exactly. It would have already, it would have been like a level five bad, but everybody being like, well, I can't do anything makes it a level eight bad, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So what I was thinking about Mm -hmm. was the conflict between Toph and Katara Mm. when they're going around because Toph is saying, I am personally responsible. Like, I carry my own weight. I'll take care of the things for myself. So nobody else has to worry about me or take care of me. But Katara's like, no, but we all are involved in this. We're all benefiting from Appa, from, you know, these different things. And you should participate in our system. We'll help you and you'll help us. And Aang is the one who's like, actually, Appa is the one who's carrying the most weight. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I also am interested in reading Korra's decision to be alone at the beginning of the fourth season Mm. in this area where Mm. she is incognito. She's away from all the people who, you know, want to protect and help her to try to find her own way through the trauma that she's experiencing. Yeah. Is that her trying to take personal responsibility for herself? Is that her abandoning a social responsibility to, even if it's hard ask for help from others so that she could then use her power responsibly, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I don't know where I land there. I think that would that could be something that'd be really interesting to dive into through that lens. Yeah, and then, you know, because she hasn't been able to bend and everything for a long time, then when Kavira is like, we don't have to have a battle. You and I can just fight alone. If I win, I get to take the city peacefully, you know? Mm-hmm. And her feeling too much a sense of like no i have to do this on my own even though she wasn't ready for it and then that having big social impacts for the whole city yeah that's a really good point and then you bring up kavira also makes me think of the mayor in the first episode of that season's decision to join the earth empire because essentially otherwise they'll keep getting their stuff stolen and Mm -hmm. you know they're they're so vulnerable without it and kavira says join us or we're leaving that is a decision that in some ways is social responsible for his immediate community, but in other ways it's more about his immediate community than it is about the wider world mm-hmm. because he understands that this is a 
hierarchical exploitative system that he's joining and that he didn't want to join and the more people who have joined the harder it is to not join mm-hmm. and so in some ways he is then having his town contribute to this engine that's destructive which he did for survival of his community which yeah is that personal is that communal you know kind of uh straddles that line mm-hmm. yeah another thing i think is interesting with Kiyoshi, mm-hmm. when Aang is standing trial, doing a terrible job <laughs> at trying to defend himself, and then she comes in and basically admits to killing Jin the Conqueror, I think was his name. And it's like, she was taking personal responsibility, but if then they're going to imprison Aang, mm-hmm. or boil him in oil, you know, then socially that is a terrible thing you know (laughs) because he's the avatar and the fire nation bad yes exactly i was also thinking about ang talking to his past lives when he is trying to find a way not to kill Mm. the fire lord definitely and them all giving different advice and when he gets to yang chen the previous airbending avatar he was like of course i should have talked to you because you're airbender and you also were raised with and believe that all life is sacred and she tells him you have to sacrifice your own personal spiritual journey for the sake of the world you're trying to be responsible personally Mm. to your beliefs to what you think is right but you need to sacrifice that and your personal responsibility to not kill people for the social responsibility of ending this tyrant he doesn't do that which great love it yeah but um it's an interesting idea yeah yeah and that whole battle that he has basically is is that is him weighing what he sees as the social responsibility of defeating the fire lord with his personal responsibility to his beliefs but as we mentioned before maybe those are also a social responsibility of believing that always holding life as sacred if everyone did that then everything would be better and yeah is is it right for him to be hypocritical and make a different decision when it suits his his needs mm-hmm. absolutely yeah and the last kind of one i was thinking about was with zuko and mm. how oh, I Zuko. think <laughs> I know we couldn't go through an episode. <laughs> it's been of that half movie. an hour. We haven't talked about Zuko once, <laughs> oh, <I know>. right? <laughs> how when he spoke out at that military meeting yeah. when he was thirteen, like this was a socially responsible. You can't do this to these people. Versus when he tells his dad he is leaving, and this is why he's like oh. taking personal. <laughs> Chris is crying. (laughs) Not really, but almost. Um, Like, he's taking personal responsibility for his actions and saying this is why. And, you know, he apologized to Team Avatar for... Chasing them around for two seasons. Sending an assassin after them. You know, those things. Uh, Which is being personally responsible, but him saying... I am here to help train the Avatar in firebending. I think that's a socially responsible thing for him to do. Absolutely. Interesting discussion. Oh, good. Compelling, even. Oh. (laughs) Well, why don't we go on to our missed opportunities? What do you have? My missed opportunity is kind of oftentimes the lack of social responsibility 
by institutions and things that mess up. Institutions aren't very socially responsible. <laughs> they are not. And so, yeah, looking at how the Fire Nation doesn't give any reparations to <laughs> right. all the people that they genocided or colonized. Yeah, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, and so we see the end of the conflict. And it's just like, look, now we're all friends and we can all build on our own. We don't have war. And it's like, okay, that's good. A step up from war. Definitely a fan. <laughs> but you're not engaging with the consequences of what has happened and what you have done as a nation where how has the economy and the manufacturing and the agriculture of the earth kingdom been in this last hundred years mm -hmm. uh the southern water tribe has lost all of its water benders you know yeah. how is that going to affect them and how is it going to make it so that sure now they're all friendly and at peace but the fire nation still has this huge industrial foundation that they're able to build off of if the whole world starts industrializing they have a huge head start mm -hmm. and are they going to actually make meaningful steps to make recompense because yeah. they cannot just maintain that superiority because that superiority came at the cost of what they did to so many other people Oh, I mean, they absolutely can, but they should not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and frankly, I think that they do because, and I think that's, that's a problem with narratives as a whole. And this is one that, that kind of comes into this, which is that it, it doesn't weigh the consequences of past actions and power differentials. And so when peace is had at last, it makes it seem like that peace is the only thing that's necessary to move on and not real reconciliation, real reparations, real things that are going to address the long-term consequences that these decisions had. Yeah, absolutely. But what is your missed opportunity? Yeah, so mine is about innovation. And so we have this innovation with the spirit vines mm -hmm. as an alternative power source, right? But then that's turned into weapons of mass destruction. So that's can do a lot of harm against people, but also by harvesting these spirit vines, you're also doing harm to the environment mm -hmm. and spirits. Yeah. I think, as you mentioned before, that part of um, a river that was super polluted, right? There, there was a, a little bit of responsibility there in showing at least some of the ramifications that factories can have, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but that kind of small scale look at of responsibility at the industrialization of future industries it's just it's completely absent so yeah i think that even small things that could even still be funny like airbenders <laughs> soaring around and then they like go through a smog pocket in mm -hmm. the air you know things where it's like industrializing is still negatively affecting the environment it's negatively affecting certain communities so yeah just having a sense of responsibility in terms of asami and and that whole plot line absolutely yeah i mean even in the episode with the painted lady once the factory's destroyed the lake's fine mm -hmm. all the pollution's gone i mean they had to clean it up but yes i don't know how you actually clean up pollution. that's the thing is there is there a <laughs> dump can't. you know like 
Yeah. There, you know, if you're actually taking things to the logical conclusion, this waste has to go somewhere. Waste is created and it can't just be disappeared. Well, and the people had negative health effects Mm -hmm. that aren't just going to disappear either. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so, you know, thinking about the spirit vines as another opportunity for this, would a spirit vine husk that's been, had its, its power leached from it, also have that kind of damaging effect to the environment mm-hmm. you know that's something i think that could could show more of the way that these are are really harmful practices and that they aren't it's not just energy good weapons bad <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. there's a lot more to it totally totally i know i made the point it was a good one <laughs> <laughs> Well, what is your takeaway? I think the thing that's sticking with me is a couple of the conversations that we've had in which the context of the world of Avatar is different from our own Mm -hmm. and how that makes me, I think, more critical of some of the analogies that are being made in the show. Mm. And so I I kind of, yeah, I want to sit with that a little bit of kind of okay, you know, not to say that these things aren't well-intentioned and that they aren't good messages they're bringing, but, yeah, where do those messages start to break down uh, upon further examination? Um, and where could those messages have been communicated more more clearly or more responsibly? Mm. And, of course, not just with Avatar, but with any media, that will most likely be the case. But uh, I think we had some really insightful nuggets that came out of this conversation. <clears throat> Gross. <laughs> I don't think I want an insightful nugget. I guess if it's plant-based. <laughs> there you go. Well, what's your takeaway? I think my takeaway is remembering the quote that we started with, this interchange of social responsibility and taking that up and reorienting your life for that, which I think is great and really important, mm-hmm. but also trying to be cognizant of when you're taking it too far, that yeah. you aren't responsible for the entire world. <laughs> I remember uh, early college where somebody I'd known in high school was like, you're just like Atlas, the Greek god that literally was like holding the world on their shoulders, mm-hmm. right? That's how it felt like how intense I was about social responsibility. And not that I'm not intense about it anymore, but I think, yeah, to be like, I am not responsible for everything that happens in the world. I shouldn't necessarily drive myself into the ground trying to do everything. I mean, and I can't anymore because of my health issues, but um there was a time when I would just do way too much and way overcommit to an unhealthy degree Mm. and so I think there's a bit of that going back and forth internally of what is your responsibility to society your responsibility to the world of doing the right thing you know doing the loving thing doing the compassionate thing even if it changes maybe some of the things that you would have hoped or dreamed or preferred you know in in life or career or whatever and then where is it when you say maybe i don't have to do this instead of i have to do this Mm -hmm. so yeah hopefully give your shoulders a little bit of rest (laughs) maybe that's why my shoulders have so many problems that's the reason that's gotta be it yes (laughs) (laughs) okay 
Well, what will we be discussing next week? So back when we did the Pride episode on Clearing Geeky series, it was so ridiculous that a couple days later, a couple articles came out regarding The Lord of the Rings and J.R.R. Tolkien intentionally actually putting queer coding in there. So we thought we would read that article and then have a episode where we just kind of discuss it. Yeah, I, I think that it seems really interesting. I haven't read the full thing yet. And then I know that other publications have kind of taken that conversation and I think it's become a wider one. Um, mm-hmm. So we will, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll read through certainly the main article, maybe some other ones and chat about it. Yeah, and if you want to be ready for that, we are going to put a link in the episode description right here. So you can click and read it on your own if you want. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find links to our social media on our website in the episode description. We want to thank all of our Patreon backers over at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines who help keep the show sustainable and also get access to all sorts of fun extra content. We recently recorded some more of our Geeky Childhood Memories episodes, and so <laughs> those are always fun things to share with our patrons. We also want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.